Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right. Happy New Year and welcome back for another edition of the Final Mile where we answer all of your questions. Make sure to continue to send them our way through the comments on YouTube, through the website. Um, I actually didn't pull any from the YouTube comments this week. These all came from uh, Facebook or from our website. So we'll get started right away here. Our first one comes from Gustavo who asked, how long has double brokering been around and do you think it'll go away anytime soon? Or is this an issue we have to learn to live with? Um, so, Ben, you got in the industry probably about 10 years ago, right? Roughly, maybe a little less. Uh, yeah, give or take. Did you, and double brokering existed then, correct? For sure it did. Yes. And it's, Same. it's probably existed forever since the inception of the yeah, market, I, mean, I would guess. Any kind of like scam has definitely happened, right? Um, yeah. I think we just noticed double brokering more because the way in which it happened took a sharp right turn. It went from like, hey, I don't have a truck, but I'm going to give it to my buddy or someone else. And, you know, all is good. I'll just yeah. pay him less and I still make some money. Right. Whereas now it's like I don't have a truck, nor do I ever intend to have a truck. And I don't ever intend to pay anybody. Um, I'm just going to take this load, get a quick pay and then ghost everybody. Well, right? And, like, and, yes. I was going to say, like, I used to run into this a lot because, like, I mean, these terms aren't, like, defined by the federal government, some statute or Webster's for that matter. Not that I guess there's even a dictionary company anymore. But my point is co-brokerage and double brokerage can be used interchangeably and had been even when I started. Right. So. I have some of my first customers, I guess now you would say we co-brokered loads, but they were double brokered. I mean, it was a freight broker that was tendering loads to me as a freight broker and I would book trucks. And that is absolutely an acceptable part of the industry if it is done where everybody is aware that it is being done and everybody has paperwork. Co-brokering, yeah. You got a contract it's in absolutely. place with transparency on it. Right. Yeah. But my point is like, it was absolutely referred to as double brokering. And I mean, you could probably make the case that it was. I think we would now probably say double brokering refers to fraudulent brokering as opposed to co-brokering refers to the legal term done. that TIA uses is illegal brokerage activities. That's the way that they've put like the legal like stamp on it of what they're going to officially refer to it as. Because there was, there's been debate for years. Like, is double brokering illegal, or is it just frowned upon? And the reality is, like, if it's you're, not. A, it, well, it depends. If you're a freight broker and you give a load to another freight broker, who then uses their authority and brokers it to a truck, no law has been broken. Right. But if you're just a trucking company that doesn't have a brokerage authority, you take a load from a broker. And then you rebroker it without a license to do so. Now you've broken a law. Yeah. And see, like, I guess technically it almost kind of makes sense like, that you could call the second one double brokering. But I'm like, yeah, because technically you rebrokered a load that was brokered to you. But what makes the second one a problem is the person that brokered it 
doesn't have a free brokerage license. And that in of itself is what makes it wrong. Not the yeah. fact that it was a load that was given to them by a broker. What makes it wrong is that a motor carrier gave the load to someone else. They don't have authority to broker load. They're a motor carrier. And remember, That's what makes it. <laughs> yeah. The scam is when these the, the fraudster is not paying the actual truck. Right. Had that fraudster been a, mo- a freight broker, they would have a well, surety bond. Yes. It could then be filed on to get payment. And that's correct. Okay. So to answer his question, how long has it been around? Probably since the beginning. Um, I can only speak to the last like dozen years and it's been around since then. Um, is it an issue we have to learn to live with? To an extent, but I think it'll be less and less prevalent as we find different ways to combat it and prevent it. But that just means there'll be something else we have to be vigilant about. So, yeah. Yes. Good question, though. All right. Next, uh, Matt says, how long does a carrier have to submit an invoice for their services before I can write it off or delete the transaction? So, like, you know, how long do they have to send in an invoice for a line haul for hauling a load or a tonu if that's what it was? Um, I'm fairly confident there's no legal statute here, but I will tell you a best practice that I have always gone by. And that's been, um, well, first of all, have some kind of verbiage in your rate confirmation or your carrier contract that states, you know, must submit X amount or, you know, must submit paper within X amount of days, right? Um, you know, to prevent any deductions or for whatever. Uh, I found it, by the way. You did? Okay. Uh, yeah. So is there a legal is- statute? I've always gone with like six months. So, yes and no. Um, so, federal regulation, 49 CFR Part 377, um, 377.205, presentation of freight bills. This section dictates the time frame for a carrier to present their freight bill. For prepaid shipments, the carrier must present their bill within seven days from receiving the shipment, excluding weekends and holidays. For collect shipments, the carrier must present their bill within seven days from delivering the shipment at its destination. Again, excluding weekends and holidays. This time frame establishes the default window for expecting an invoice from a carrier. Now, section 49 USC 13710, this section sets a 180 day limit for either the carrier to submit an invoice for additional charges beyond the initial bill or for the shipper to contest the amount charged. There so you go. for care to add charges beyond it, or for the shipper to contest it, it, says 180 days. Now it says, wow, not a deadline for the initial invoice. It provides a maximum time frame for potential charges to appear. Now here's the piece that is the kicker. That right? would answer like your tonu or an adjusted yeah. rate for layover or detention, stuff like that too. Contractual agreements. Your specific agreement with a motor carrier may stipulate a different time frame for invoice submission. This could be shorter or longer than the seven-day window. Always refer to your contract to determine the agreed-upon invoicing time frame. Based on these factors, you can generally consider writing off or deleting an invoice after 180 days from the shipment delivery date, as this covers the maximum potential invoicing window and the time frame specified in your contract if it differs from the federal default. And that's what I've always gone with is 180 days. Now, the reality is you don't want to get to that point. You would hopefully, I mean, you want to get paid by your customer, right? So you can actually realize that profit. And a lot of times you can't do that until you've got a BOL. Um, And imagine going to a customer five months down the road and invoicing them for a shipment five months ago. They'd be like, huh, what's this? Um, They may have been like, oh, I'm writing this off. 
So, but communication's huge. And, you know, keep reminding your carriers, right? Stay on top of what's not been invoiced, what's not been paperwork collected on yet, stuff like that. You don't want it to get to 180 days. So to that point, I had a client this year that had a business partner that owned the business before they brought our client in and they lost their main customer when they came to us and they lost their main customer for this reason. The previous owner didn't bill for like seven months and then invoiced everything for seven months and then didn't invoice again for four months and then invoiced everything for four months. And the company was like, I think they literally didn't invoice anything for like almost a year. And the customer basically responded and said like, we wrote these off. Like we don't even know if we can actually pay you through our system because they're so old. Right. So again, I mean, this is, people think service is just your truck shows up, right. And your truck picks up and your truck delivers on time. Right. Your invoicing procedures are also service, right? So making sure they're going out timely, that you're on top of it is absolutely important. And the last thing I want to point out is like, I'm working through some invoices that are more than a year old with one of my customers right now. So, I mean, like this absolutely happens even when things are done the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. But like you said, Carrie didn't get a BOL back, didn't get invoiced. Now they refute it and it takes forever to clear these things up. And the more time passes, the harder they are to fix because it's really hard to go get information nine months after the fact from a carrier or for anybody from that matter. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, all right. Our next question, Omar. Omar is very active on our Facebook group. So I want to say thank you, Omar. Hope he listens to the show. Um, a lot of the stuff that he, he asks is intended to just generate discussion, which I like. Yeah. So he said, what does it take to be a quote unquote good broker and how can we start to bridge the gap? So I will tell you to be a good broker. I'm going to make super Barney style simplify this. Um, integrity and good communication. Those are like the two things to me that I think stand out. I've told the the thing about my boss one time told me to be a good freight broker, you need to have two things, integrity and your cell phone. If you lose either one, pretty much shot. You're done, right? Um, and it's so true because integrity encapsules a very broad scope of things, right? It's not just telling the truth. It's fairly and honestly quoting and paying and um you know approving a tone even when your customer denies it but you know the carrier deserves it um you know being honest about the how crappy a pickup location might be or a delivery location like just doing the right thing so your reputation um is intact and is a good is a good one and then communication is like you know, I always say bad news gets worse with time, like giving timely updates, being um, quick to give good news, bad news and indifferent news. So those are the two things to me that I think make a good broker. Um, you should be playing the game, per se, where everyone's all working together from shipper to freight broker, motor carrier. We're all in it together. What do you think? What makes a good broker? The things that I would add attention to detail good listener I guess it considered is probably under considerate yeah it's probably under yeah. integrity yeah. um it's good but I because I, I think about those a lot right and the I'm reading a book now on listening and I was curious one because I've never found a book on listening and I, no one ever talks about it because it's something that's like a passive activity right and 
it talks about a lot of the things we talk about in our show, right? And it's like, you can't actively listen to somebody unless one, you're curious or you care what they have to say, which is something I never really thought about. But I'm like, when you think about it, like that's what makes a good broker. Like they're genuinely paying attention and listening to what their customer's saying, not just the things they want to hear. And they're writing them down somewhere and making sure that they can pay attention to that detail later, right? You can be all the other things. If you can't do that, like our job is we trade in information, right? We don't actually move physically anything. We get information from somebody and get it to somebody else. If it doesn't get to the other party intact, then you're not doing your job either. And to me, that's probably a big one that I've thought more about lately. Have you fallen victim to double brokering, cargo theft, or identity theft? Quickscope stands out as the only low-level fraud protection tool available today. Unlike any other solution on the market, Quickscope is deployed post-agreement between shippers or brokers and carriers. Shippers can rest assured that their cargo remains secure. Brokers can confidently confirm the identity of the individuals on site for pickup, and carriers can trust that they'll receive timely payment. Start your free trial with Quickscope today by visiting them online at quickscope.com. That's Q-U-I-K-S-K-O-P-E.com. Blue Book Services is the resource you need if you're transporting fresh produce or lumber. Their online databases contain thousands of companies throughout the produce and lumber industry supply chains. You can easily search their databases to generate new sales leads. Blue Book's credit ratings help you avoid companies with high credit risk, and their team can help resolve disputed loads. To learn more, go to producebluebook.com or lumberbluebook.com and click join today. Yeah, that's good. That's a great idea. It's a great point there. Um, next up, what can I do if a carrier's insurance denies a cargo claim? Have you ever had this happen before, Ben? I got a second one too. I'm going to add to this before this. And what do you do if the carrier doesn't respond to their own insurance to assist you with the claim? And the so, carrier's insurance goes, I can't do anything about this. I was going to just they- say, I, 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 I was going to relate to the question because we had that happen this year. And I've heard it literally, two or three times. I think you probably told me, but I know at least two or three other people that have mentioned this to me this year. Too. Yeah. So the situation that we had, and this is not where the question came from, but like we we had an it, we, it was a double broker situation. We don't even truly know. Like we we filed a claim on who we thought was the carrier, but it got denied because like there's basically no evidence that they were the carrier. No. Um, we don't know who the real carrier was. The load basically got like stolen and then dropped off at a different warehouse. Um, but we ended up like holding the bag. Like, what do we do here? Like, do we tell the customer? So to answer the question, what do you do? Um, remember when you're filing a claim, you're facilitating it. You're not the actual like payee on it, right? You're not the one that's actually, um, being insured. Your customer is the beneficiary of the insured party, which is the motor carrier themselves. So straightforward example, um, Let's use fresh produce because we had some of the folks from Blue Book on earlier this year. We talked about, you know, sometimes a, a denied claim because the customer was at fault. So let's say customer wants to file a claim because spoiled product shows up. Uh, carrier does their, you know, their whole process or the carrier's insurance does their whole process and determines that the carrier did everything right and that possibly the product was loaded 
damaged or something like that. Um, claims denied. What can you do? You could tell the customer, sorry, this claim got denied. The loss is not covered. They've determined that they're not at fault. Um, you as a broker are t- typically not at fault either. So you could just tell them it was denied. Probably going to lose a customer out of that. Um, we've had instances where claim has been denied and we feel that we want to make the customer whole because we want to keep that relationship intact. So we've offered to split the loss proportionally, like maybe we'll take mm-hmm. half or we'll eat a third of it. Um, we've taken full amount before in instances of error on our part. So like we do, you know, double broker situation, right? It's we, we screwed up by not, sending the right truck in that we thought it was. Uh, We missed some vetting step along the way and allowed this to happen. We're going to own up to it and reimburse you for your loss because we had some, we were the, we were part of the reason that it happened. Yeah. And we're going to take, we're going to eat that and we're going to salvage the relationship with the customer. Um, What did you, so the other instances that you had mentioned, what happened? What'd they do? Cause by, by all means, you could just say, I'm sorry, like we're, it's not paid and we're, you're gonna. You're not getting any money for it because we're not liable as a broker. It's more went back to thing. the same way. Customer disputed it. They, you know, didn't pay it. Didn't work with the customer anymore. That's how it played out. But I was curious. I'm like, how can a carrier just? I just don't see like if a carrier is liable and they do something and there's damage, like how just not responding to their own insurance company in any way so, makes that go away. I think in my, in our situation, and I don't have, this was like earlier this year. So I don't, it's not fresh in my mind, but for us to try, like, let's say it's a, it's a, let's say this low was like double brokered four times. We don't know who the real truck is. So for me to find out and tell the right person, Hey, go to your insurance who they might not even have insurance or the right kind of insurance. Right. Right. Then I've got to get a double broker to admit that they double brokered a load of mine and admit to tell me who they gave that load to. And then I got to go to that person and do the same thing again. Right. Yep. They're just not going to do it. They're going to hide from you. They're going to run away and ignore it. Like that's just how it happens. That's just exactly. Real, unfortunately. So because like you had an example where a, a guy got double brokered on and the carrier that actually hauled it didn't have coverage for whatever that was. And in that case, Right. Like There's you can no either go to your customer and yeah. say, I'm sorry, I screwed up and they double brokered this and it's not covered and they're going to fire you as a freight broker. Or you can own up to it and say, hey, this happened. We missed something along the way. We're going to make it whole for you and we're going to make sure it doesn't happen again. But then you've got to eat however many thousands of dollars that is of the loss. So it's messy, man, for sure. It absolutely is. So I think it's also a good thing to point out. This is one of the reasons why your prospects will say they only want to work with asset carriers, right? Because it avoids all of this risk. They don't have to worry, did the load get double brokered to a carrier that doesn't have insurance and there's a claim on it, right? So this is one of these scenarios where like you need to be able to explain or help reassure your prospect as to why this won't happen to them if they work with you. So you really should understand how this is happening so that you can overcome that objection and ultimately do business with them. Yep. Exactly. All right. Last up, um, my customer got promoted. I'm assuming this is the 
the point of contact of the customer. So my customer got promoted and they hired a new guy to manage the shipping. What should I do? So uh, I've seen this happen like happens all the time. It's fairly common, right? Very and common. the reality is Average like your person yeah. stays at a job for two years, two and a half years, every yeah. job. Yeah. So if you think so, about it. <laughs> exactly. So the reality is you're going to have people, there's going to be change all, whether it's promoted, fired, quit, you know, bought out. Like there's going to be change in who's making decisions. What would I do? Um, I'd congratulate them on their promotion and immediately like get involved in that transition, meet the new person. And also we talked about this before, like you shouldn't just know your point of contact. You should know like their boss, their subordinates, if they have any, whoever their backup, excuse me, whoever their backup is, if they're out on vacation or sick, um, have some like, um, what well, well, can I, I want to use like a football analogy, have like some depth, right? Have a depth chart of like who your contact is there, who you can go to. Uh, but yeah, the reality is like, so if you knew, if you knew the boss before and your contact gets promoted and either becomes the new boss or is somewhere else in the company, you still have a, a relationship intact with somebody else there who's like, yep, yeah, keep working with Nate. Like, his company's been a, a lifesaver and a huge help for us. Um, now, let's say you hadn't done that. What, you know, let's say all they know is that one person, person gets promoted, not even in shipping anymore. New, you know, there's a new big dog in town. What do you do? What would you do? What would I do? Yeah. I mean, you're, I mean, one, you're kind of starting, you have to build a relationship from scratch. I guess. Uh, the luck is like you're still moving their freight, so you you're not, you're not having to start totally from scratch. But you got to win them over that no like trust part, yes, right? For sure. So I am going to position myself as a resource for them in their new role, where they could reach out to me with any question they might have, regardless of if I'm handling that shipment. So I would meet this new person and I would explain how long and the relationship I had with the previous person. I would say, hey, you know, I still, you know, periodically talk to them and catch up with them. I know they're not in this role anymore. But hey, I want to let you know that I know, hey, you're new to this. Maybe they're new to this job entirely and they've never even been in this type of job. Maybe they have done this job somewhere else and they're just new to this company. In either scenario, I am going to explain like, hey, I'm here to help you and whatever that is you need. You know, this was the previous relationship. These are the things that we did. But I want to let you know that if you have a question about anything, even if it's a load with another broker or another motor carrier and you just want somebody to run something past or to ask a question to that you might not feel comfortable asking somebody, call me anytime. Shoot me an email. I want to be there to help you in whatever it is you need in your new job, regardless of it's a shipment that I'm working on. And that's how I'm going to try to make myself a resource to really endear myself to them. But I genuinely do want to help. It's not like it's not true. But if I can get them to trust me to ask me the questions they need help with whenever and wherever that is and when that comes up, right, they're way more likely to connect with me for me to be able to start establishing the same relationship that I had with the second person. Yeah, so a great point, and we'll wrap this up, is what you just described there is being a helper and not like an asker, right? You're not going in there like, hey, what I need this, I used to get this. It's how can I help you? Like, how can I help you be successful in this new job? And congrats on the hire, getting hired, by the way, for this role. So there's all that. Um, Yeah. So one thing I just wanted to add, one thing I wanted to add to that is uh, 
when I was in the military, my boss told me, and I've carried this through this job, um, is if you ever need anything, you need to know somebody two levels up. They should know your name. And if you want somebody that needs stuff from you to be in that place of power, you, the two levels below you needs to know your name. And I do the same thing in sales. So all my yeah. customers, two levels up, two levels down, they all know my name. So that way, if somebody gets hired, somebody gets promoted, fired, whatever, somebody knows my name. So that way, that, that relationship can continue. It's funny you mentioned that from military. We had a similar thing, and I always described it like as know and understand what it is that they do and their their level of the organization does. So like if you read this to brokerage in that same aspect, sure, my contact might be the the traffic manager, but two up from him or her might be like their VP of, I don't know, like procurement or of logistics, right? Or director, whatever it might be, right? And I have to understand what goes on in boss's head and in boss's world that impacts my guy or my girl here in the uh, traffic booth. So excellent point for sure. For sure. And again, these are great prospecting questions to ask. And it's a great time to meet all these people when you are prospecting because you've got lots of questions that are unanswered, right? Like I always think of it as like one up and one over, like whoever I'm talking to, I want to know the person above them and the person to the side on either or, right? I love the person below for sure. But you also want to ask questions that both of you guys point out are like, what are these other roles responsibilities and what are their pain points, right? What do they care about, right? Like if you talk to more procurement people, they care more about budget and the number of vendors. They care very little about on-time percentage in some cases because that's just not what they get yelled at about. They care more about the budget and the number of vendors. That's what they manage, right? And then you might talk to somebody that's like like one of you guys point out, like the director who's above the person that tenders you the loads. They might get, you know – like their quarterly review might be on time percentage, budget, and the number of vendors. Like you want to at least have some idea of what's important to the people around them because oftentimes we need your approval from those people, right? You need to know what they care about. And yeah. that always comes into, into play when you're getting on board in the first time, right? Because the person that sends you loads might be like, yes, I'm having a hell of a time finding trucks. I can't get anything covered and I'm it's a mess over here. But they go, I can't approve you. The director has to. And then when you talk to the director, he doesn't care about any of those things. He cares about completely different things, right? So I think those are like invaluable things to keep in mind always at the beginning and no matter who you're working with. If anybody listening to this doesn't know the person next to their customer or the person above them, like make a point to get to know them as fast as possible because this is going to happen inevitably. Yep. Well, good questions. Happy New Year, everybody. We appreciate it. Ben, any final thoughts? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the contact us form on our site and we'll see you next week.